Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're going to be talking about soil and plant micronutrient issues. If you've got any questions about that, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Again, our number is 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. So for the last few weeks, my brother Darren and I have kind of been rotating in and out of the Morton studio here. Um, I've been out, well, we each have been out doing meetings with farmers, and that's what Darren is doing today. Talking about a lot of things, everything from what's happening right now in terms of pricing and programs in the ag chem market today to what's going on with seed, fertilizer, talking about soil tests a little bit, and our issue today, soil and plant micronutrients. There are some people out there who believe that it's not important to look at micronutrients, that micronutrient levels don't translate to yield. But I can tell you this, they do. And how I know that for a fact is for the last five years now on our farm, we have been pulling one acre soil test grids. And when we do that, we pick a GPS point in each grid. We go right to that point. We sample in an area about in about a 10 foot radius of that. And then we know what the soil is right there for each of our different levels. Everything from NP and K, sulfur, calcium, magnesium, to the micronutrients like zinc, copper, boron, manganese, and iron. And we know what all those levels are, but then what we do is we match that up to yield because we have yield from all these points as well. Whether it's corn yield, soybean yield, we also have soybean silage tonnage from those spots if we cut silage there. And odds are you can do this on your own farm too. You most likely have a yield monitor on the combine and you absolutely can take soil tests the exact same way that we're doing it. And then all you have to do is match up these two things together. So because we've done that, and oh, and by the way, I should tell you, we farm about 3,500 crop acres. We've done about, let's call it 80% every year where we get the soil test pulled. So some years are better than others. Like this year, we got almost 100% of our stuff pulled. But anyway, the point is roughly, if you figure on average, we've got about 2,500 grid points where we have pulled soil cores and matched them to yield each year for five years. That's over 12,000. 1,500 data points. So I don't just have three little strip trials or 10 little strip trials saying, well, micronutrient levels look like they're important. No, 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 no. I've got thousands and thousands and thousands of data points showing us there's an absolute correlation between yield and micronutrient levels. Now, that doesn't mean that every micronutrient has to be ridiculously high. In fact, what we find is sometimes we can overdo it on the micronutrients. So you got to pay attention a little bit. But with each of these micronutrients that we're talking about, the good news is, well, I shouldn't say for each of them, for most of them, it doesn't cost much money to build your levels up from, let's just say in the case of boron on our farm where we were at three-tenths of a part per million, and we wanted to build it up to three parts per million. So basically, we had to 10x the boron 
Now, granted, we have heavy soil and we're able to do that. You can't do that on every farm. In some cases, you might need to use boron in a different way. But for us, that was really important. And you could see a correlation to yield. With zinc, kind of the same thing, but there we had to look at our phosphorus to zinc ratio. So here again, I mean, because of all these soil tests we're doing and matching them up to yield, you could see, and I can, we can chart that out and see where, where's the trend line? Where, where do we, where are we really trying to get to? What is the right ratio? Things like that. So without that data, quite frankly, we'd be guessing. Or we'd be doing the same thing as a lot of people have done for years. Oh, we're running a few little strip trials. Nothing against strip trials. With a lot of stuff, that's all we can do. All right? But you know what the the standard deviation is for a lot of these things. And, I mean, if you're not into statistics, let me just say, unless you have lots of those strip trials, the yield difference you would have to show in each strip trial is tremendous in order to say for sure there is a definite difference between treatment A and treatment B. So anyway, this has been a lot of fun comparing these yields to the soil test levels. And I guess a lot of people will ask, okay, well, what's the one most important micronutrient? I can't really necessarily answer that for you because if any one of those is lacking, we got a problem. Like on our farm, I'll just say, okay, maybe it's zinc. Maybe it's copper. Maybe it's boron. All of those, absolute correlation to yield. The one that I would highlight for you that's the most expensive, at least for us to apply, that's manganese. So we haven't had problems with iron hardly at all. We have pretty good natural levels of iron in our soil. We're lucky. But like with manganese, running the DTPA test, the same that we ran for years versus the Malik 3 test, the DTPA extraction method didn't ever correlate, I couldn't ever correlate yield to the manganese level. All I could tell you is if you had lower pH, you had a higher manganese level. If you had higher pH, you had a lower manganese level, period. That's all I could tell you. So that that didn't really work for us. That's why we had to go to a Malik 3 test and manganese because now we can truly see, oh, okay, here's kind of where our manganese level actually needs to be at. We can correlate it to yield. It's kind of fun. But anyway, back to copper and zinc. Those two, it's really been this correlation between phosphorus and those nutrients. And the level has changed a little bit. The ratio has changed a little bit from what we originally thought it was. Because a lot of people say 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc. And even we've said that. But the more we get our data out there, and granted, now we're using Malik 3 tests for both the phosphorus and for the zinc. What we're finding is it needs to be a little closer to 5 to 1 phosphorus to zinc ratio as opposed to 10 to 1 or something like that to maximize yield. Copper, same kind of thing where, you know, it was a pretty high ratio. Now it's a little bit lower ratio we're kind of looking at. So in other words, that just means the importance of zinc and copper, even for us, we had kind of understated. So we'll talk more about micronutrients in the soil and in the plant throughout the show today. Stay tuned. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. 
Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about soil and plant micronutrient issues. And first on the show from up in Saskatchewan, we've got Kellen Huber with us. Hey, Kellen, how are you today? Hey, I'm excellent today, and thanks, Brian, for having me on your show today. You bet. So in your area, what are maybe the the top one or two micronutrients that you think a lot of farmers could benefit from if they did maybe a little bit better job managing them? Well, the number one that comes to my mind right off the bat is zinc. You know, we really struggle with low zinc, and you know how that takes and affects the soil or affects the plants. You're really, you know, talking so much about phosphorus availability. You're talking about water availability. Zinc is a major deficient nutrient up here. Are you finding that in, to be true in all crops, or is there a crop or two where you say, wow, it's really making a difference here? No, actually, I find it deficient in pretty much all of our soil samples up here. Um, I just finished uh, one of my soil clinics here that I had last week, and we took and featured some soils there and just went through all the, all the nutrients from macros to secondaries to, um, of course, micros. And the zinc just fell. We, it's something that hasn't been concentrated and looked on enough up here in Western Canada. And the second micronutrient is actually copper. You know, we seem to be severely deficient in those two nutrients to answer your question. Now, as a farmer, I would just say, I don't like to spend money. But when I look at zinc and (laughs) copper, neither one of them is that expensive. So what's the problem? Is it people don't want to spend the money or do they just, quite frankly, not even realize they have these issues? Well, I think that's the the bigger part of it, uh, Brian, is that they don't really know that there is a deficiency to it. The education system has told them that, you know, you have to focus down this avenue. And wherever that 
Avenue B, whether it be in the United States or Canada, you know, there seems to be a certain uh, discussion that's held at the nutrient, whether it be the local co-ops or where it is. And if you want to grow a crop, this is what you need to do. And everybody has a different principle. I see it more as a challenge in the last three years when it becomes yield and becomes high input prices and high commodity prices where everybody's now trying to realize how do I make a better system when we've had so much rain, but yet we still can't get that bumper crop. Yep. When we've had those dry spells, you know, we should be retaining some nutrients because the crop isn't there. And so that was some of the things that I kind of work on with my clients and work on with my classes that I put on is understanding the 14 essential nutrients that really need to be looked at and micronutrients are never one of those part of the conversations which I feel needs to be really looked at. All right, so you mentioned zinc and copper. What, in your opinion, is the best way for a farmer to get those on, at least in your area and the crops you plant up there? So one of the things I always like to start with is good zinc, try and get good zinc levels at seeding time because zinc is very... Uh, very important to getting phosphate into the soil. And I usually try and do that in springtime and then back up. If I'm going to put a large dose on, if we're really low, I'll try and put it into the seed row and try and get that good germination going with a good zinc level because that's really going to help for water availability into the plant plus phosphorus. Yep. And then if we're li- really thinking, you know, in previous years, I'll add a micronutrient package of some sort and copper being one of them because that's one of your major uh, factors for taking stresses away from the plant and giving that optimal germination. So I I try and do it as much as I can at seeding time and then definitely do sap testing or tissue testing along the way and really itemize what's going on in that plant. So going back, I don't know, 20 25 years ago, we recognized we needed some micronutrients on our farm as well. We addressed things about like you're talking about there, but for us, we were so deficient, we were still having problems. And so what we finally went to on our farm is just broadcasting zinc sulfate, broadcasting copper sulfate, fix the entire soil, and I didn't think it cost that much. So do you have many people who are doing that either instead of or in addition to what you just suggested, putting zinc and copper out at planting time? Uh, there is more There is more knowledge being talked about in the industry, and I really appreciate that. And the more times that you guys talk about it on your show, it really helps too because I start to get a lot of phone calls and going, hey, what about this? <laughs> what about that? Yep. You know, so what does that make a difference for? Well, anytime that you're trying to get water into a plant, zinc is that critical thing. And anytime you're having stresses, you know, and we'll always get environmental stresses where we get too much rain and then all of a sudden you'll start to have um, fungicide problems or other disease problems. And that's where copper really kind of plays in. And this year with the amount of rain that we had up here in Saskatchewan and various areas, a lot of those nutrients got washed away. And one of the things that I, I, I can't stress enough, and, you know, you and I and Darren have talked about that before, but elemental sulfur and just how sulfur will bring on micronutrients, especially plant availability, 
And even though you got maybe shy in in some nutrients in your soil and just don't have enough, but it's amazing. You take and put some sulfur out there, and I usually try and use a strong application of sulfur, especially at seeding time, you know, for many, many reasons, and basically pH correction, but making micronutrients available. I was just looking at some soil tests here just recently, and one of the major things that we did was put um, sulfur on, and all of a sudden, we never put some of the micronutrients on. All of a sudden, they're a lot more available. Yeah. I, I have we have had really good luck using sulfur there and there are a lot of different forms of sulfur out there too but w- w- like for our farm we deal with a lot of heavy soils and we have had some high pHs and that sulfur does help make things more available you look on a lot of the charts and it will show you the higher the pH level for m- almost all the micronutrients the lower the availability. So if we can lower the pH a little bit or just, you know, combining anything with sulfur, slightly acidifying things, we're getting better uptake. We're getting better response in that plan. So, Kellen, we only have about a minute left here. What else do you want to leave us with when it comes to micronutrients? What are the other big learnings or, you know, anything that's really stood out to here in just the last few years? Well, I, I, the last two things that stuck out for me definitely has been the zinc and copper availability, but you can't forget about, you know, your iron, your manganese, which are all good stress relievers, iron you need for uh, helping with nitrogen availability, but then you go right down to boron and moly and you need a ratio of them for head fill. So I'm not a big component of using a multi-spectrum micronutrient, but I would definitely at- attack one of them at a time. And as you mentioned earlier, Brian, they're not that expensive. It's just we're not accustomed to it and using that dollar and cents. But if you take in, um, make sure you get a good quality zinc, though, or a good quality micronutrient. Be careful of some of the different uh, chelators that are out there and I would just say you're never going to go wrong and you're never going to lose money on micronutrients so well said again we're talking with Kellen Huber he's up in Saskatchewan he's with Keltec Ag and you can find him at Keltec it's K-E-L-T-E-C-K agltd.com. Kellen, thanks a lot for being on the show today. Really appreciate it as always and uh, have a Merry Christmas up there. Merry Christmas, Brian, and to all the, and everybody at, at Ag PhD. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Yeah, Kellen brings up some good points. I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of micronutrients. It can get a little bit confusing. That's why we're talking about this today. If you just start breaking it down, take one at a time and kind of go from there, it, it really does help. And you don't have to invest a fortune, but like with zinc and copper, they don't leach through the soil. So you get them out there, they're going to be there for your crop at some point, whether it's this year or in the future. Stay tuned. We'll talk more about micronutrients right after this. 
What does it feel like to get all for none? How does all the Thanksgiving turkey with none of the cooking sound? All your football team's highlights with none of the timeouts. We'll do you one better. What about all the benefits of a new Farmall utility tractor with none of the finance cost? Welcome to Farmall A-Days. For a limited time only, gain 0% financing for 48 months or a cashback offer when you invest in select Farmalls this holiday season. There's a reason they call it a Farmall and not a Farm None. Visit caseih.com slash offers to learn more about these special offers running now through December 31st. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I am Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. There's a lot to sort through. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Thursday, January 12th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. CNB has a sale for you this holiday season. Save 25% on Real Tractors or Green merchandise now through December 23rd. These products promote sustainability in ag by giving back to local programs, so get some under your Christmas tree. Go to realtractorsorgreen.com and check out with promo code CNB25. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking micronutrients today. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. If you've got a question for us, you can certainly email us, radio at agphd.com, or give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. So next on the show, we got our friend Paul Borges with us. He's from out in California and with Stanislaus Farm Supply. Paul, how are you today? Good. How are you guys? Excellent. So we're talking micronutrients, and I, I, I'm, I'm glad we have you on the show today because California is a far different place than South Dakota and even a little more different than up in Saskatchewan. So we kind of gave our perspective a little bit earlier on some of these micros. 
I'm interested to hear yours. What are the top one or two micronutrients that you're usually talking to your customers about? Uh, us over here, usually it's iron, zinc, and manganese. Probably the biggest ones, followed by molybdenum, some of the alfalfa fields. Okay, so you, you brought up iron, and I, I said this earlier in the show, like on our farm, that's the one that I focus on the least because our soils are fairly rich in it naturally. So can I assume then that your soils there don't have a lot of iron naturally? Uh, we get pockets where there's just none, or, or there's some, but the value is very low. So it, mm-hmm. it pops up here and there, and we've tested down down to four feet to see if the levels increase and some places they do, and other places they don't. So some places, we just, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of iron, just a little bit throughout the season to help the plant along. So when so a, It's a hit and miss. Sure. So when the plant is iron deficient, what issues are you seeing in your crops? Uh, the big discoloration, probably the biggest one. The chlorophyll's not there. Um, but sometimes the problem we have is we have manganese that's a lot higher than iron, and then, you know, you get... Uh, shows shows a big deficiency in iron. So, what what does that look like? And and I mean, just you're seeing much more yellowing out of the iron when that manganese is actually higher than the iron. Well, you can think it looks like an iron deficiency. You know, sure. they they're so close to each other that it's hard to pick out which one until you know yet what your soil and your tissue tests are telling you. But if you know you're low of iron, then you got to be very cautious of where your manganese is at and uh, add some supplement throughout the season during your growing season to help uh, offset that from happening. Yeah, and that was kind of my next question for you. When you actually identify, all right, we're short on iron, Is is that has that been your best strategy is to add a little bit through the season? Are you trying to fix the soil in advance or what do you what do you prefer? Uh, in season, we'll we'll try to offset it with some some product through the irrigation, uh, and then the long term is to fix it by adding iron to the soil. But most places we've built up over time, and the new places that we find, it takes time to build it. So we do a lot of uh, foliar and uh, irrigation with some iron in it to help offset the damage. Sure. If you are going to fix a soil. Is it like an iron sulfate kind of product that you usually use, or, or how do you raise the whole yeah. soil test level? Yeah, we use iron sulfate, and we'll do it slowly, uh, anywhere from 100 to 200 pounds of iron sulfate, which is not cheap no. over time. But depending else where, depending where the soil is at, too, if, if it's upside down, magnesium is higher than calcium, then we work on that first, and we supplement with... Uh, with iron throughout the season, just depending just depending where the soil is at, and what needs to be fixed first well, is where the iron's going to fall in. Now you said you work on it slowly. Is that because of the cost, or have you seen problems? If you say, "Boy, I'm super crazy low. I'm just going to put a whole slug on." Is is there some issue with that? Nah, it's more of uh, what's what's the most important thing in that soil for that soil type, mm-hmm. you know, is, is it really, you know, is, is calcium and magnesium out of whack first? Cause if those are out of whack, you're not going to build iron. Uh, another thing, it's an expensive cost and we've never, I've never gone and put out 400 plus pounds of iron in one shot. <laughs> I've done it slowly over time. Yeah. And it's too expensive. <laughs> yep. Yep. 
So you, you, the second one that you mentioned was zinc, and you, you've talked a little about manganese so far, but but talk to us about zinc. Is is this like an every crop kind of issue that you're having a problem with zinc, or where do you usually see the zinc issues? Uh, zinc issues usually fall from uh, dairy ground, where they have real high phosphate, potassium. Oh, sure. Uh, usually we, we find low zinc in the field. Um so we go after the zinc there, and it just we found on other grounds guys do a lot of composting. Over time, we build the phosphates up. Mm-hmm. You have to bring the zinc with it, or you're not going to get what you want. So here, here's one interesting thing I'll throw out to you because we've worked with a lot of livestock people too, and we've had the exact same issue you're talking about. But sometimes what I'll see is the zinc levels are not horrible on their own it's just the phosphorus levels are off the charts and so my question for them is usually do you intend to leave your phosphorus level at that because i'd hate to see you build your zinc level up to 50 parts per million or something and then all of a sudden you decide you know what i'm gonna mine a bunch of that phosphorus out of the soil because we can get the phosphorus out quickly with our crop but the zinc i mean it would take decades to get our levels back down again so do you run into those kind of issues yeah, yes, we do. We have phosphates that will get like in, uh, heck, at 200 pounds. I mean, at 1,200 to 1,500 pounds. Yeah. For, you know? Yep. And our zinc will be down at 10. So we'll raise our zinc up to try to raise the zinc up into the high 20s. Yep. And then again, supplement where we can with zinc throughout the growing season. Yeah, it's always and con- work on removing the phosphates through crop. Yep. Yeah, it's always concerning to me because if all of a sudden they stop spreading manure there, uh, the phosphorus is going to come down fast. But that zinc, it it would take a long time. Okay. Uh, the the last one that you had mentioned was molybdenum. I, I mean, the amount of molybdenum that any crop needs is minuscule. So, number one, yeah. how are you managing that? And two, how are you careful so it doesn't get to be too much because it'd be real easy to get too much on at least in a few spots? Yeah, when we, we saw a test, we see where they're at and then we take the real extreme ones that are really low year after year. Mm-hmm. And come, I mean, like I said, it doesn't take, it doesn't take a lot, a couple of ounces and you're, you're you're there. So that's one yeah. nice thing about it. It doesn't take a lot to fix it, but right. you got to be careful not to go over either. So are you treating the soil then? Do you end up spraying stuff foliar or what do you like to do with molybdenum? Uh, depending if I'm going across with uh, other dry fertilizer, I'll add it to the fertilizer, but most of the time we run it in the foliar spray over the crop. Yeah. The foliar, at least for me, I, I, I would say I worry less because you mentioned dry, and unless it's in a in something, where, well, I just worry about any type of dry fertilizer blend settling out or anything like yeah. that. So, yeah, when we're talking those micronutrients, we got to be really careful. Especially at that rate, the real small rate. Yep, yep, definitely. All right, so Paul, any last comments you got for us today when it comes to micronutrients? Yeah, be curious, you know, be very cautious when you're looking at your soil test and your tissues. And sometimes those little miners that can make uh, the bigger changes in the in the crop for the year. Yep, they absolutely could. Well, we've been talking with Paul Borges. He's with Stanislaus Farm Supply out in Modesto, California. Paul, thanks for being on the show again. We really appreciate it as always. And have a Merry Christmas. Hey, you too. And I appreciate you guys. You bet. Thanks a lot. molybdenum 
we hadn't talked about that a little bit earlier in the show, but I, I, I hope you can understand if you're listening today, <laughs> it is, it does not take a lot of molybdenum to feed any crop. Now, molybdenum is unlike a lot of the micronutrients in that it's more available as pH goes up. So sometimes what ends up happening is somebody will show deficiency at a 5 pH, they lime, get their pH up to 6 or 6.5, and and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm not running into that molybdenum deficiency anymore. So that could be part of your problem. Otherwise, definitely you can put some molybdenum on. Just be real careful. I have had the tendency over the years to overdo things. That's why I was asking, like, with Paul, did you ever put on an enormous rate of iron or anything like that? Well, I just remember one of the years we identified, oh, we got a molybdenum issue. I was going to put a whole pound of molybdenum on. Well, you can't even legally put a whole pound on in the United States. So it's a heavy metal, and there are heavy metal limits. So anyway, be real careful. Just use low rates of molybdenum. That's all you need. We'll talk more micronutrients right after this. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max Nozzles, the ideal nozzle for dicamba and 240 applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Pasture spraying season is upon us, and your spray window may be longer than you realize. Many weeds like musk thistle and Canada thistle are still able to be controlled after a few light frosts. If you've got some ground that's losing productivity to invasive weeds, turn to proven answers like Weedmaster and Burnmaster from New Farm. Go to newfarm.com forward slash US crop to learn more. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, 
or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, broadcasting today from the Morton studio, talking micronutrient issues in plants. But if you've got any questions on that or anything that's going on in your farm, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. And we are going to go back to the phone lines. We've got Matt calling in. He farms in Minnesota and has a question about lime. Matt, how are you doing today? Hey, we're doing good. Um, uh, quick question here. It probably won't end up being quick, but uh, <laughs> I um, have been um, been looking at doing some liming uh, yep. in uh, in the past, and it's uh, there's there's some sticker shock associated with uh, with some of it mm-hmm. uh, here in our area, just because we got to get it from so far away. Ma- majority of the cost is trucking. Gotcha. Um, the ag lime that I've seen spread in, in in on neighbor fields and things like that's been uh, been I believe from a quarry someplace. Okay. Um, my specific question is, if a guy wants to apply his own ag lime, yep. what type of equipment do we need um, specifically? And the source of lime that that I'm kind of interested in is is beet lime. Um, there's a source like 65 miles away from me. Yep. Um, that, uh, they, they give the stuff away. Um, but I, I think it's hard to apply. So what type of equipment would, would I need to look at to be able to economically do that? Okay. So first of all, spreading most any kind of lime, it is not like spreading dry fertilizer. That's part of the reason why there are some companies out there that have pelletized lime, because then you can go ahead and use your own fertilizer spreader if you're spreading P or K or urea or whatever. The disadvantage to that is it's going to be more expensive. Personally, I'm with you. I like free. We've been getting water treatment lime for our farm, but in your case, beet lime, great. The other advantage to beet lime is it's going to have a lot of phosphorus in it, or at least almost all the tests I've ever seen with beet lime. There's a lot of phosphorus in there. So you might get your entire year's needs on phosphorus and maybe even a couple years worth. I don't know without looking at the the beet lime test, but all I know is I'd make sure that I'm testing that beet lime for all the nutrients, the major nutrients, the micronutrients, everything, and then adjust your fertility plan accordingly because you're going to get more out of that than just a straight lime or like an ag lime. So in terms of spreading it, in the past, a lot of people have used some kind of slinger spreader. There are specific lime spreaders, but it's not a regular fertilizer spreader. For beet lime, water treatment lime, ag lime, any of those kind of products, there's so much moisture there uh, that it gets to be a a, a challenge. And to spread it perfectly, 
it's never going to happen. It's just like a manure spreader is not going to be absolutely perfect. So that's why some people like to do tillage. You do not have to do tillage. We've done stuff no-till, but I do prefer tillage with some of these products that are kind of uh, what I would say inconsistent and also having a less than absolutely perfect spread. But anyway, um, I, I just say you got to buy a specific type of spreader. And I mean, they're out there. You just kind of have to talk to your equipment dealer or, you know, a few equipment dealers and see what they've got and see what would work for the lime you're looking for. What, uh, what specific um, qualities of a spreader makes it capable of spreading like a a beet lime where there's 40% uh, moisture, moisture content. Yep. So that's where I say in the past, a lot of people have used some kind of like a, like a slinger spreader. I mean, it's almost like a manure spreader. It's just, it, it, it. I don't know how I can describe this very well. I'm probably doing a horrible job. But like with uh, a normal fertilizer spreader, there's a chain in it and you're going to have, or I mean, they're could be there usually is some kind of chain and it. it's pulling the stuff to the back it hits that uh wheel that's in the back slings it all out that way and it's just fine it's no big deal but with this stuff there's number one a lot of volume number two it's super wet and so the other challenge that you've got is how many loads are you going to have to have so that's why some people go with really big equipment which then means bigger tires trying to lessen the compaction maybe a bigger tractor to pull it so i mean it's it's kind of a vicious cycle where yeah you can have something that's maybe a little bit smaller but then you just have to make a lot more trips and with ag lime i mean it's bulky so you know and then the other the other issue becomes getting it hauled out to your field and so you've got to have somebody who can truck that with, uh, with the type of truck that will handle that, and there's no problem. So anyway, it's just it, it's more work than doing regular fertilizer. So we kind of found that out real fast on our farm when we started working with a lot of these lime products probably 20, 25 years ago, once we identified we had some issues. And so that leads me to my next question. I'd like to know what your soil pH is, and then also what kind of grid size do you have for your soil tests? Yeah, um, grid size two and a half. Okay. Um, and soil pH is um, the very, very low side um, on on what I'm talking about getting getting lime on is uh, five two. Mm-hmm. And then we farm uh, up to, you know, seven and a half. Um, but the, uh, yeah, the 5.2 the stuff, um, just working off of Midwest Labs recommendation for a few different lime qualities, um, we're looking at, you know, six ton, yep. to eight ton. Yep. yep. Um, now, let me ask you this. On that pH, is that tested this fall and was your area very dry? No, that was uh well, I guess I'm I'm on a 25% rotation, so sure. um 25% of it. Yep. And we were dry. I mean, it uh yeah. yeah. The the reason why I'm asking is because if you are extremely dry and some people were this year, even in your area or at least close, 
If you are extremely dry, then your pH can read a little bit lower than normal. So a 5.2 this fall might actually be a 5.4 or a 5.5 or something like that. So I, I guess part of why I'm bringing this up and asking all these questions is just speaking from firsthand experience, we screwed up a bunch of our lime in, a, in that we put on too much. We also were dealing with a lot of 5.2, 5, down to 4.4. Four, I think it was 4.3 was about our lowest pH. But we ended up over-liming because we didn't realize, number one, um, what the actual pH was. And part of that was because we had bigger grids and zones. So we were running a lot of five acre, 10 acre kind of stuff. And there were areas in those that weren't nearly as low as what we thought. So if you've got variability in your field, even with your two and a half acre grid thing, if it's like, okay, well, one grid is five, two, and the grid right next to it is six, six, then that tells me, I, 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 I might even go to smaller grids. We've gone to one acre grids on our farm because I'm so scared to death of over liming anymore. It cost us a whole bunch of money in the past, spending money on the lime, spending money then to fix the soil, plus the lost yield we had in the meantime. So I'm just, I'm always going to be nervous about that. And it sounds like you're doing a good job, but I just tell you the variability, we, we just want to try to catch that as much as we can. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of guys are, Look, I mean, this would be a uh, majority of its rented ground, uh, sure. planned on long, long-term leases. It's not, uh, anything that's, um, a year by year thing, but, uh, yeah. but you know, ag lime, the last quote that I got for this, this fall was, um, $70 a ton. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, you're looking at, yep. uh, in in areas well over five hundred dollars an acre. Yeah, yeah. you, you can't afford that. That's why I figured if a guy could, no, nope, you can't do afford it that. Himself, maybe we could. Yep. Yeah. Yes, that and the beet lime thing, or like for us, water treatment lime, and there might be a source for water treatment lime around you too. So those are just things for you to look at. But hey, Matt, uh, thanks a lot for calling in. Appreciate it. Best of luck to you over there. Yeah, lime is important. I just keep the rates down. I'll keep the cost down, and then you don't have to worry about the over-liming issues that we've had either. Thanks for the call. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Farmers come to Commodity Classic from every state and beyond. I'm a farmer from Lexington, Tennessee. Brackenridge, Michigan. Michigan. Finley, North Dakota. We're farmers farmers from from Elverson, Pennsylvania. Cope, Colorado. Northeast Arkansas. I'm a teacher from Glenview, Illinois. We are corn and soybean farmers from Alga, Michigan, and we want to see you at Commodity Classic. Join us in Orlando as we're preparing for the next generation, March 9th through 11th, 2023. Learn more at commodityclassic.com. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, 
two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. What does it feel like to get all for none? How does all the Thanksgiving turkey with none of the cooking sound? All your football team's highlights with none of the timeouts? We'll do you one better. What about all the benefits of a new Farmall utility tractor with none of the finance cost? Welcome to Farmall A-Days. For a limited time only, gain 0% financing for 48 months or a cashback offer when you invest in select Farmalls this holiday season. There's a reason they call it a Farmall and not a Farm None. Visit caseih.com slash offers to learn more about these special offers running now through December 31st. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. We've been talking about micronutrients throughout the show today. I'll just leave you with this last thing on micros, and that's this. Please make sure you're getting a complete analysis on your soil on a regular basis. At least every four years, preferably every couple years, we do it every single year on our farm. You don't have to go to that extreme. I like having it uh, in part because of this. Fertilizer's expensive. Now, as I say that, it's not expensive if I'm making money on it. So all I'm trying to do with the soil testing is figure out what do I need? What can I afford to invest in that? And then, hey, if it's giving me a good return on investment, I'm in great shape. But if I don't know what I actually need and I don't know what my soil has, I'm just guessing. And I hate guessing when I'm literally spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on fertility and I have millions of dollars at stake in my crop. When commodity prices have gone up, yes, input costs have gone along with that, but that just means we now as farmers unfortunately have more risk. The more risk we have, the more we need to manage that. And part of that is just simply doing a good job with soil testing. So please get a complete analysis and don't listen to people that are telling you, oh, micronutrients aren't important. You don't need to look at those. Uh, I got the data. I can show you in my farm and I would bet you if you do the same thing as me and you do a whole bunch of soil tests and you match those up to yields, you will absolutely find out the same thing I have. There's a correlation. Now that, again, doesn't always mean we need more of everything, but it does mean we need to dial it in and there are certain micronutrients we have to invest in. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. 
It's the mailbag. All right. This first question here comes from Chip. I was just talking about these yields versus soil tests. And that's his question. He says, when you are comparing these yields to soil test data, how big of an area do you use for the yield? A one-acre circle around the point? Bigger? What do you do? And does this change for silage versus grain? No. Um, if we take a GPS point, and let's say we're doing the soil test within a 10-foot radius or something like that, I don't remember how we've set it up or exactly the number, what we've set it up now with our computer program, but I'm going to say it's like a 20-foot radius or 30-foot radius right around that point. So it's just right at that point. It is certainly not the whole acre. If you're doing the whole acre, keep in mind, an acre's the size of a football field. There's too much variability there in yield, in soil tests, everything else. That's why we want specific GPS points. We basically look at the yield in that point and the soil test data in that point, and it does not change whether you're talking silage, grain, soybeans, wheat. I don't care what crop it is. We want to do it all the same way. All right, next one here is Keith from Ohio who says, Guys, I've had good weed control in both corn and beans the last few years with the exception of ivy leaf morning glory in a couple of fields. It seems I can control it well in soybeans, but we'll have trouble in corn, mostly just in patches here and there. This is no-till. He says, I burn down with glyphosate, dicamba, and a quart of triple flex. Post, when the corn is about six to eight inches tall, I use glyphosate, mesotrione, which would be callisto, atrazine, and metolachlor. That's a group 15. Uh, dual, basically. He says, is there something better that will help the late flushes of morning glory? I think I'm getting the small ones controlled with the post, but then had another flush before canopy. Um, honestly, when I look at your post-emerge program, glyphosate has never been good on morning glory. Mesotrione has never been real great on morning glory. Any of the HPPDs, they're just weak on those viney species, whether it's field bindweed, morning glory, buckwheat, they're all real similar. Atrazine is okay. Uh, Metolachlor basically does virtually nothing. So when I look at your post program, I mean, if it's me and I say morning glory is my real problem, I'm going status. There's no question about it. Status will light them up. So you will kill all your morning glory. You're not going to leave a crazy amount of residual, but you'll leave residual for maybe a week or two after that. So if it's me, I'm pulling the mesotrione out and I'm inserting status at five ounces, and that will solve your problem. All right, next one here is from Matt. He says, I've heard, heard you guys talk about MegaGrow to help plants avoid yellow flash caused by Roundup application. Uh, is MegaGrow the same thing as Radiate? Yes, Matt, it is. It, the, this is uh, these are plant growth hormones, IBA and cytokinin. And it is the only patented safener for Roundup. What we see is better recovery from the Roundup. And it's not like Roundup's doing lots of damage in the plant or anything else, but it's doing enough that the MegaGrow is helping. And even if you didn't use Roundup, we're still seeing in a lot of cases MegaGrow and, and or similar plant growth hormones are giving us some response. And MegaGrow radiate, you're talking maybe $4, $4.50 an acre. It's not like it's that expensive. Okay, next question is from Mickey. Actually, three questions. Number one, can I band all my dry fertilizer, like NPK and micros, in an 8 or 10-inch deep band? Um, and let's see. I'm, okay, and then it says in low pH soil to prevent from tie-up. What? Uh, well, anyway, let's start with this. Let's start with just the base question because I'm not sure if that 
ties into this question or the next question or whatever. But anyway, can you apply all your dry fertilizer in an 8 or 10 inch deep band? Absolutely. We've done that ourselves on our farm. Here's what I want you to think about. And actually, you could do some soil tests and prove this out. How nutrient rich are your top few inches in soil? So, for example, on our farm, we've we've got a bunch of stuff we have really loaded up now over the years. So in our top, especially three or four inches, we got super high levels. So let me ask you this question. If that was your case, if you got your top three or four inches really loaded up, what good does it do to throw a whole bunch more out there? On the other hand, if you test down at the eight to 10 inch deep range, I'm guessing you, like us, will not find a lot of nutrients there. So doesn't it make sense to get it down deep in the soil? The other reason why it can be important is in a dry year. For us, for example, we've had two and a half years of drought. We have heavy soil. We have some moisture down at that 8 to 10 inch deep range. If we can bring water into the plant, great. But isn't it even better if we can also bring nutrients into the plant at the same time? Absolutely. So that's why the deeper banding has really helped in the dry years. The other thing it can do for you is prevent the loss of phosphorus. The only way you're going to lose phosphorus is soil erosion. So phosphorus doesn't move in soil. If you place it at 8 to 10 inches deep, you don't have to worry about that erosion thing anymore. I mean, don't get me wrong. We don't want your soil to ever erode. But if it would happen to erode, at least you're not losing your phosphorus. All right, then the next question here. What do you mean by a concentrated band? And he also says in low pH soil, I'm trying to prevent tie-up. Uh, so with this concentrated band, what we're talking about, Mickey, is we have fertilizer in a band and we've basically placed it all in one little spot as opposed to broadcast where we've spread it all over the soil. And the reason why this is a big deal, especially when you talk about a band that's deep below where you're going to plant, is this. Plants, roots, do not magically know where your fertilizer is. They simply take the path of least resistance. They're growing down. And when they find an area where there is a fair amount of fertility, then the roots there will proliferate. So if you've placed the fertilizer where the plant basically has to run into it, then you're in great shape and you have a lot better chance that fertilizer is going to get extracted. Whereas if you got a, the fertilizer's broadcast and you got a spot here and there and everywhere else in the soil, there's no possible chance that your plant is going to be able to, or that all your plants are going to be able to recover all that in one year. No possible way. And in terms of tie-up, when each, let's, let's call it each little fertilizer pellet out there, I'll just use that, for a term, um, when it's by itself, then there's a much better chance that all the soil around it can interact with it and get it tied up. Whereas when you've got it all together, then the soil can only do so much because there's only so much soil right around that little ball of fertilizer that you put in the concentrated band. So yes, there's much less chance for tie-up, at least in the short term, when you have it in a concentrated band. And then finally, uh, is chelated dry fertilizer, uh, does that work better than normal dry fertilizer in low pH soils for banding? Um, look, 
chelate, when we talk chelates, that's usually with the liquids. So it's not really that much of a thing with the dry fertilizer. I'm not all that worried about it. I think you're going to be in pretty good shape. All right, before we go, just wanted to say thanks to Alex producing the show today. And thanks to you for listening. And be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.